0: When you have an issue with your menstrual cycle, which is inherently a hormonal process, right? If there is an issue, it's indicating that there might be something else going on, right? So your adrenals might be making a lot of cortisol because you're very stressed out, which is going to suppress your progesterone production, which in turn is going to inhibit you from ovulating. Or you have an insulin resistance issue. And then your body doesn't have enough energy to invest in ovulating, right? So that's kind of our metabolic syndrome PCOS picture. They're all really, really interconnected. The thyroid hormone also very interconnected into the menstrual cycle. And that's something that you can see if you temperature track. So folks that don't have a very high temperature rise after they ovulate, that's an indicator often of suboptimal thyroid function. So. As you get to know your period, when you use it as a vital sign, when you get to know what's happening with your body, are you making enough cervical fluid? Are you having a temperature shift? All of these things that are involved in tracking your cycle, if they are not in the category of normal as we know it, then they absolutely could be a sign that something else is going on with your body. And it's really powerful to see and to have that knowledge.
1: Welcome to Our Village Circle, a podcast centered around authentic sharing, honest storytelling, and elevating the voices of parents and professionals alike to demystify the realities of new parenthood. We understand on a visceral level that with the joy of your new human also comes every other emotion under the sun. We want you to feel seen, heard, known, and held in this life-altering stage. We wholeheartedly believe that everyone's story has something powerful to offer others as they navigate their own journey.
2: Hello everyone and welcome back. I'm your host, Jaylee Turner, and I am so excited to have an Our Village Circle favorite back on the podcast, Roni Zelovinsky. You might remember her from season two of our podcast, where we spoke about really all the things. Roni is an Israeli-born Russian-Jewish lover of all things seasonal, sparkly, local, and holy. She is a certified nurse midwife with a background in out-of-hospital birth. She has worked with families, children, and women for over a decade as a doula, yoga teacher, infant massage instructor, and nurse. She is committed to helping women reclaim their hormonal, physical, spiritual, and sexual wellness through root cause healing and integrative medicine. She believes that every individual has the power to heal themselves and sees her work as a midwife as merely an illumination to that freedom path. She is currently accepting clients for consults on nutrition, lactation, preconception sexual wellness, and any other support that you feel you might benefit from by working with Roni. She is grateful to her teachers and the healers who inspire her work, Aviva Rom, Lily Nichols, Michelle Odent, Esther Perel, Brenda Lane, Miriam, and Whitney Pinger. And today, we will launch into what I'm sure will be a juicy conversation about preconception wellness menstrual cycles and all the things that they did not teach us in school but should have about our bodies i am so excited for you all to hear this conversation so i'm going to stop talking and we'll be right back after this brief message from our sponsor are you trying to conceive or maybe you're over hormonal birth control but don't want to get pregnant I want to tell you about the Ava bracelet, which I have been using to track my fertility for the past five years. And let me tell you, it has been a game changer. It has opened up a whole world of learning about my reproductive health that I never received in health class. Did you know that folks with a healthy menstrual cycle are on average fertile for six days per cycle? I didn't until I began using the Ava bracelet. If you've ever used a method of natural family planning, either to become pregnant or avoid becoming pregnant, you are probably familiar with some of the methods of tracking your fertility. Of course, some of these come easier than others, but there are also flaws in some of those methods, such as LH testing, which only detect one or two fertile days
1: in each cycle.
2: Or taking your basal body temperature, which has to be taken at the same time every day to give an accurate picture of your fertility. Ava Fertility typically identifies five out of the six most fertile days per cycle. And the best part, it's easy. With Ava Fertility, there's no need to wake up early to take your temperature or to remember to pee on a stick. Just wear the bracelet overnight and it will collect continuous data while you sleep. You simply sync with the app in the morning to see your fertility status in real time. Ava Fertility pinpoints your five best days to either try for a baby or use a barrier method as they're taking place. Ava is often advertised to folks who are trying to conceive, but I want to empower folks who want to avoid pregnancy to consider using it too. So maybe you've recently come off of birth control. Ava can be a wonderful way to get to know your own cycle monitor the ebbs and flows of your body, and take charge of your fertility without artificial hormones surging through your system. The Ava bracelet tracks physiological signs that act as markers for your fluctuating hormone levels. This allows it to detect, not simply predict, which phase of the menstrual cycle you're in. In addition to fertility tracking, Ava displays health parameters like your temperature, your sleep, your physiological stress, and your resting pulse rate, allowing you to see in real time how adequate or inadequate sleep or stress levels can affect your fertility. Put your fertility data at your fingertips. Ava Fertilities provides an overview of your cycle's length, when you ovulate, and your menstrual flow for the last 12 recorded cycles. You can download it directly from the app for yourself or for discussion with your healthcare provider. If you're trying to conceive and you become pregnant, you can continue using Ava Fertility to follow your progress with graphs, trend analysis, and week by week content for the whole nine months. I used this when I became pregnant with my second, and it was by far my favorite pregnancy app. If you're interested in giving Ava a try, Visit the link in our show notes to begin taking
1: charge of your fertility. Again, the link is in our show notes. Now, back to our episode.
2: Roni, welcome back. It's good to have you here. So you've been on here before. You are an Our Village Circle favorite, but I'm sure that there are some listeners who have not heard your previous interview. So for people who may be new here, will you briefly introduce yourself?
0: Yes. My name is Roni. I'm a certified nurse midwife. I'm also a yoga teacher and a dancer and very spiritual and really passionate about empowering women to live their fullest, healthiest, most optimal, healthiest selves. And what does that mean to you? I think to me, it means that regardless of where we are on our life paths, We are committed to getting healthier. We have been fed a fallacy that with age, we need to get old and decrepit and weak. And the truth is that if we really invest in taking good care of ourselves, it can be the opposite. We can get healthier as we age. We can improve our metabolic health, improve our energy. And I think if the focus is more on that, both individually and as a nation, then we will recover from chronic illness and mental health issues and all of those other things. I think just knowing that you can reverse the course of your life at any point.
2: Yeah, it's so interesting to know that certain symptoms that we have and even mental health struggles sometimes can actually be attributed to a deeper root cause than just the anxiety or the depression or the jitteriness or whatever and yeah. truly there's so many people walking around right who have like hormone imbalances or vitamin deficiencies or and they just don't even know that actually it's a symptom of that because gosh we get our blood work if if we go and get a routine physical right our routine blood work oftentimes doesn't even cover the things yeah. that we need to be looking for
0: exactly exactly
2: Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's so cool. So will you tell our listeners a little bit about what was your journey to hormone health and wellness? And I know we've talked individually about living in sync with your menstrual cycle. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, sure.
0: So I was afflicted with PCOS as a 16 year old. I was a competitive, a junior Olympic rhythmic gymnast as a child. Yes. And so my menses were delayed significantly. I didn't really, I didn't actually hit puberty until I was around 18. I started the pubertal journey maybe at 12 or 13. I didn't get my period until I was nearly 16. And then when I got it, it was really irregular. I mean, it's very, it's actually clinically normal for your menses to be sporadic for the first two years because you're not ovulating yet regularly, but not to the extreme that you're bleeding twice a year or three times a year. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. And so, and I was living in a really small body at the time and had very, very little fat on me. And I saw first an OBGYN who recommended birth control, of course. And then my mom was like, okay, well, let's go see a nurse midwife who recommended birth control, of course. And I was not having sex. And my mom, bless my mom, who is an escaper of the Soviet Union and questions everything, right? And she was like, you're not going on birth, you're not taking a chemical we don't even know what's wrong with you. We're not putting chemicals in your body. So thank you to her. Thanks, <laughs> and yeah, she is. I think she is the biggest influence, sole influence on why I am the way I am. It was very frustrating, obviously, because I was like, I'm going to get my period. I'll just take a pill. And she was like, that's not how it works. I'm pretty sure. So eventually when I was in college, I was on birth control on and off a little bit, but my period was still super sporadic. I don't, I mean, I probably bled like 15 times from, for in the four years that I was in college, which was exacerbated by the tremendous stress and PTSD that I suffered when I was in nursing school. And so after that, I had already, I was accepted to nurse midwifery programs at the time. And I was like, I can't start a new, I'm so sick. I can't do another program. I'm just had diarrhea five times a day and didn't have my period and was super depressed. It's like, I can't actually put more information in my brain when it's just not, ex- I'm a mess. So it also really poor at the time. Um, and I was a full-time doula. Yeah, that's a lot of stress. <laughs> yeah, it was a lot of stress, which has been a theme in my life that is mm-hmm. changing, but a lot of stress. And I was obviously, I was on call, so I wasn't sleeping really well either. Right. And for the last two years of college, I was supporting myself. So I was also full-time nursing school and full-time doula, which I still to this day don't understand how that even functioned, but it did. And so eventually it all, what is the expression? It hit a breaking point. Eh, Yeah, kind of. And I needed to figure out what's going on. So I just decided to take a year off. I was still dueling, but I wasn't in school and I listened to so many podcasts and read so many books because I Can't go to a medical doctor. They're just gonna give me birth control, and can't pay forty thousand dollars for an integrative doctor. So here we go. And slowly, slowly, I started to piece together the puzzle of what I needed to do to heal. So Weston A. Price was really pivotal in my journey. Who is an advocate for ancestral nutrition and ancestral healing. So I started to eat really whole foods and with a tremendous emphasis on fat and protein. I moved, I did yoga every day. And I just, when I wasn't at births, I just slept as much as I needed to sleep. I had not had a chance to sleep in, in ever. I was 22 at the time. So my whole life was on a schedule. So I was just sleeping and moving and eating really nutrient dense food whenever possible. And I surrounded myself with friends, tried to stress as minimally as possible. And within a year, towards the end of the year, I started menstruating more regularly. It was every two or so months at the time. And then I started midwifery school and I was befuddled that we are not taught any way to support women that isn't medication. We're taught the physiology of these ailments, but we're not taught why that physiology might occur and what you can offer people that isn't a drug. and So, so that actually, the
2: symptoms and not the cause.
0: Yes. I mean, you're taught the, the methodology of how the disease develops, right? Something has to happen to start the spiral of you not ovulating. So we do learn about that in school, but it's like cancer. You know how to treat the cancer, but they're not talking about all the toxin exposure and all the trauma and all the stress that we know is linked to cancer, right? But we're not taught to address those things or even offer them
2: that's so interesting like even in midwifery school right because when people think about midwives they do think about of a more holistic model of care and that's often why people seek out midwifery and to hear that in midwifery school it's still not really something that's taught nothing at least
0: if you're training as a, a certified nurse midwife right Yeah, no, nothing. You learn to to give people birth control. And if they have metabolic syndrome and are obese to recommend them to an endocrinologist, who's going to put them on metformin. So it's just all It's not a solution. So that inspired me to kind of get even nerdier about it. At that point, I was also having sex regularly, which helped my cycle balance out. So I would say from the moment that I started naturally trying to get healthier and fix my cycle. It took about two years for me to start menstruating regularly. So I did not have a normal menstrual cycle until age 24, which of course then was exacerbated by midwifery school when I was again working and on call. But it's been a journey for me as a patient and also as a provider, but it is, it's super, super wild to Realize realized that I also chose the profession that wasn't going to give my patients unless I did the work by myself. It's been a lifelong thing for me. Right. So just
2: yes. to get clarity, what age were you when you were diagnosed with PCOS? 16. 16. Okay. So you knew this and that's interesting, right? Because you said you were a skinny girl mm-hmm. and so you didn't have probably the stereotypical markers of
0: PCOS. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. They also couldn't technically diagnose me with PCOS because they didn't do an ultrasound. So I don't actually know what they were. I think they were just basing it off of, oh, you have irregular periods and anxiety. So you're probably at PCOS. I mean, It's just, it's a very blanket term that clinicians use when they don't know what's happening. I got my period one time when I was 15 and nine months and then I was 16 and six months and hadn't bled again. And so they were like PCOS, that's which is an interesting. Yeah, Interesting. It's not clinically correct, but that's the thing is that in medical school, nurse practitioner school, you're not taught that your menstrual cycle is your fifth vital sign that not having it or having a change to it is actually showing something else going on in your body. I want to talk more
2: about this. Learning this was mind blowing for me. Let's launch into the menstrual cycle and what it can tell us. And also just How menstrual cycles work? Because we don't even learn that in school. We learn that when we're trying to get pregnant.
0: Yes. The quick and dirty on menstrual cycles is that your menstrual cycle is comprised of two parts, your follicular phase and your luteal phase. And smack dab in the middle, generally in a healthy woman is ovulation. And so your follicular phase includes your menses, which in a healthy person is going to be anywhere from three to five days. After that, you start to build up a lining and your body is producing estrogen and to a lesser extent progesterone. After which, once there's enough stimulation to your ovary from those aforementioned hormones, you release an egg from a follicle, which is the egg shell. And after the egg is released, then it's the body's time to prepare for gestation. So progesterone then rises and Ideally, after about 12 to 14 days, the corpus luteum, which is the remaining eggshell, can't live longer than 14 days. So between 12 to 14 days, you start your cycle, uh, your period again, and you shed that lining if there wasn't fertilization and, and that lining isn't now supporting a baby person. In our society, in our day and age, because we live in an incredibly toxic world that is exposed to so many chemicals that mimic estrogen, most people are deprived of enough progesterone. And because we do not make enough progesterone, we are all normalizing the symptoms of inadequate progesterone, which are PMS the extreme sore boobs anxiety listlessness anger rage pains headaches all of these things are common but not normal and they're more and more common progressively in society as we accrue more and more poorly grown food with lots of different chemicals used to create it to products that you use that have xenoestrogens in them to the air that we breathe to the water that we drink that has microplastics all of those things are going to be increasing the amount of estrogen in your body and because they're kind of a balance you can, when you have an excess of estrogen you cannot make enough progesterone so a normal cycle should have a longer luteal phase a phase where you're making adequate progesterone but many women do not have enough and so We are seeing the results of that, which is a lot of PMS, a lot of miscarriages, and just generally a lot of discomfort in the latter half of your cycle. People often will feel like a different person even.
2: Yeah. And that begs the question too, right? When people are trying to conceive, oftentimes Mm -hmm. that's the first time they're really learning about when they're actually fertile in their cycle. Mm Mm-hmm. So I have have two thoughts on this. One, that's the first time that people are learning when they are fertile, but also this is the first time that they're really learning about how their hormones work. And so, you know, they tell you to try for a year before seeking out fertility help. And when, when you're trying to get pregnant, every, the person that I talked to on the last episode said, like, when you're trying to get pregnant, every cycle where you're not pregnant feels like a loss. And so people are going through this month after month, after month, after month, mm-hmm. and not receiving any guidance in the interim. They're just saying, try for a year and then we'll help you. Yep.
0: Yep. I have so many thoughts on that, but, but also
2: my- when are we fertile? Like we need to talk about when are we fertile. fertile school? We learned that we can get pregnant
0: at any time. My first commentary that I want to make is on this atrocious pattern that you voiced, which is that again, medicine wants to fix problems and not focus on health, right? So also if you've been trying for a year and you're not pregnant, then we can label you with infertility and we can get you to see a lot of people that are going to rack up a lot of money for big pharma and insurance, right? It's all just like toxic, disgusting chamber of keeping people sick.
2: Right. And I just want to put this disclaimer out there that I'm not saying that this is the the cause with every infertility case, because there are definitely cases of infertility where truly medical intervention is a miracle.
0: Absolutely. But it's also really cool when you talk to people who prior to conception spend years figuring out when they're fertile and they get pregnant on the first try, right? right. Because they know exactly when they're fertile, they've been focusing on their fertility, they've been focusing on both being taking the best care of themselves. And then it should be easy. That's at the end of the day, it should be easy. And I think in general with life, we're fed a story that things should be hard and challenging and that our bodies are difficult when the truth is that they want to be healthy and they want to thrive. And that's nature. Nature wants to bloom. It wants to create fruit. It wants to be in optimal health. We just need to support it to do that. Right. And, and that's our default is.
2: state. Our default state is health and all this inflammation and like hormone deficiencies and all of that. It's actually our body trying
0: to get to health. Right. It is really sad when physicians and nurse midwives say have at it, but all you have to do in that conversation is plant a seed. You just have to say, you know, take this course, learn about when you're fertile and try and eat a really healthy diet to support the possible pregnancy. And if you can't figure out when you're fertile, then come back so that we can see what's going on and make sure that you're ovulating, right? The conversation just needs to be, it's a tiny change. It doesn't have to, I'm not saying that everybody needs to know and be somebody who helps others with fertility. That's not everybody's cup of tea, like it is mine, but enough to inspire people to take responsibility for their bodies. The other issue and problem that I have with that approach is that it continues to keep people as victims, right? Because if you haven't gotten pregnant in a year, and as you mentioned, then every single month is sad and you feel like you're failing, then of course, it's easy to come back to a doctor and say, hey, you have all the answers, fix me, solve me, save me, put a baby in me, right? Versus at the beginning of this whole journey, the doctor could have empowered the individual and the patient and said, Hey, this is the time you should get to know your body. You and your husband should figure out when you're fertile, figure out what feels best for you, how to have the strongest orgasm of your life to make sure the sperm gets very high up into your uterus, right? There's all these things. And it just takes a second of planting that seed. Yeah. And Yeah. So that's what I have to say about that. And in terms of when you're fertile, you're only fertile for five days of the month. However, there is new data. I just read a study a month ago and I don't remember it. So don't quote me, but there are some women who ovulate more than once a month. And so that kind of puts a blunder in this whole spiel that I'm about to give, but you could figure that out if you track your cycle. So at the end of the day, you still have power. It just, if you ovulate twice a month, then you're fertile for 10 days versus five. But your egg can only live for 28 hours. So it can only survive waiting for sperm for 24 hours. Sperm, on the other hand, with fertile fluid can live for up to five days because female cervical fluid around the time of ovulation actually feeds the sperm. It changes in its constitution to be food for sperm. And so it can survive for five days in the vaginal canal, in the cervix, and even in the uterus. But... Because the egg dies, you're really only fertile for five to six days, the 24 hours that the egg is alive, plus the five days outside of that bracket when the sperm is inside the body. So when you're able to track your fertility, you know when you should withdraw, when you should wear condoms when you should probably do both like the day that you ovulate and then when you can have sex freely like married couples who are willing to take the tiny risk can absolutely even have their partners ejaculate inside because you are not fertile and when you really learn about that it becomes incredibly depressing when teenagers and And people in college are taking plan B like a day before they're about to get their period because the chances of them being fertile at that time are negligent, but they are going to now have their hormones affected possibly tremendously for at least three months. So yeah, it's just, it's, it's really empowering information. And I will say the one thing that has been, at least for me, kind of tricky in navigating this, of being somebody who's so gung-ho about this knowledge, is that dating becomes pretty tricky. In what way? Tell me more about that. Yeah, I think I've been blessed in the past with dating men who were really wanted to be involved and learn and be part of the journey and the process and whatever. And I think also when it's a team effort, it's fun. Now that this is such an instrumental part of my life, of my whole day and how I live and plan my world. I need to be, and whoever I speaking proverbially, anybody who lives a lifestyle based around their menstrual cycle needs to be willing to live in that confidence and that power and own it instead of feeling ashamed for it. For example, when you're dating somebody who's never dated anybody who has a menstrual cycle, not necessarily going to understand that for two weeks of the month, you don't feel like doing as much stuff. And for like the five days leading up to your period, you need to not eat salads for dinner. And because you know so much more profoundly what you need during every phase of the month when you are cycle tracking. And the goal is that you have a partner who's really excited to do those things with you, right? Who's like, okay, yeah, like this week, we eat venison stew every night or whatever it might be, right? Like you want somebody who's going to be a teammate in that and who's not going to feel burdened by that. And I think it's going to take generations before we have men like living in the feminine cycle. I just recently started feeling like, wow, it's not that only my life revolves around my menstrual cycle, but if I live in this way, then everybody in my life is now affected by my menstrual cycle. Like it's- Right. I don't think I really like those two things didn't register. I felt like, oh, this is my individual journey to finding my balance. But that creates so many boundaries because all of a sudden, you know, like, no, you don't want to go out partying or for cocktails on whatever Saturday because you're going to get your period. Or if it's somebody's birthday, you might have to leave early because you want to respect that you need more sleep. It does become a community thing as soon as you step into your power, of tracking your menstrual cycle. And because there's not that many of us, and I dare say a tiny insignificant amount of us who are living this way, it can be a little jarring. Like it can be a little, it can rub up on people. I mean, my parents, my family certainly doesn't get it. When you go on this journey, I don't think that I realized how much I would have to claim it with confidence. I thought there was going to be a lot more like Yeah, fat empowerment. But no, everybody's used to women just doing the same shit every day. So, Well,
2: you know, there's so much to unpack here. But I mean, (laughs) look at commercials, right? Like tampon commercials. They're like, "Mm, don't let your period stop you. We've got all of this protection while you're out playing tennis and you can wear white clothes and your period won't affect your life. The message we get in the media and gosh, if you called out of a day of work because you were on your period and most jobs, they'd be like, come in. What the fuck? You know, our society isn't built around living in tune with your menstrual cycle. I just had a light bulb. Yeah. And gosh, there's so much we could talk about here, but you know, society isn't built in this way, but also it's not built in this way because people don't know how the menstrual cycle works. And not just as far as like how many days you're fertile, but also how the hormones fluctuate throughout your cycle that have certain effects on your mood, on your energy levels, on what you want to eat, on your libido, on all of these things. Mm -hmm. And so there's not much of an understanding around it. And the other side of the coin too is culturally we get the message that we should be on birth control unless we're trying to get pregnant. That's problematic for a lot of reasons, but also because we're not taught about our menstrual cycles, we're not taught that living in tune with our hormones can be used as a way to either become pregnant or avoid pregnancy. Yeah. So that was so many points to unpack. So Um, I'm sure there's lots of people listening that what we've been talking about may sound like gibberish to them, or maybe it's the first time they're ever hearing mm, this. Like, you know, they've learned that they bleed. They may even have kids and have gone through fertility issues. Maybe they used the luteinizing hormone test strips to figure out when they're ovulating, which is a whole other can of worms as well. But, you know, for someone who's coming into this world, maybe they're hearing about this for the first time. Let's just give a really basic breakdown of what a menstrual cycle looks like, not just when we're ovulating, but for the majority of people who are operating on a non-medicated menstrual cycle, mm-hmm. what does that look like?
0: Symptom-wise, mood-wise? I'm totally. totally. Oh, yeah. Okay. The light bulb that I had actually, that I think I can finally put words to is that when I started this journey, and I'm still at the beginning, it really was about me. It was about me getting fertile, figuring out how to live in harmony and in sync with myself. And I am not partnered at this time. So it's easy when you're alone. But the truth is that when you have this knowledge, you want to create a world that is matriarchal, because that is how hundreds and thousands of years ago we have lived we lived in cycle with the moon it was a matriarchal way of life because we lived in a lunar cycle we woke up with the moon we went down with the moon we bled with the moon the seasons of our lives were ruled by the moon holidays sex worship all those things were governed by the moon and the lunar cycle is feminine but we live in a day and age where we control light And we live in patriarchy. And so when you have this knowledge, you start to dismantle your own shackles around your freedom. But the place that I'm at now, which I did not expect to be as challenging, maybe, but that's like the journey that I'm on in this moment is that in a way by living in this way, you show to the world that you are not subject to patriarchy anymore, right? That your life is now living in a matriarchal way where you are ruled by your cycle and you are governed by the rhythms and the tides of the hormones, which I'll go into next. And that becomes a challenge if you have people in your life who are only used to what patriarchy looks like and what birth control is at the root of it. And you can think that this is controversial and that's fine. That's your opinion, If especially if you're triggered, then you should sit with that, but what birth control does is puts you on a masculine cycle period because you are having the same hormones every single day and you are not subject to the waves and the changes of the hormones that I'm going to go into next. And that is incredibly convenient for a world that requires us to show up in the same way every single day. And the reality is that when you have this knowledge, you cannot because you change every day. And it so I requires think-
1: you
2: to rethink feminism
0: Yeah. It's radical feminism. I've said that for years, but I think it showed me how important it is that I have someone who isn't just like, yeah, yeah. Do your thing. Yeah, totally. Like cycle think and then tell me when you're fertile and when you're not like, I need somebody who's going to be cooking with me week by week. Like it's, I need someone and want someone who's going to live in the matriarchal way. Right. So it's, it's saying no, no, like I can't know that I am a female and ruled by the moon. And I do currently bleed with the cycles of the moon. I can't have this knowledge and live this way and also exist in a patriarchal world. So what I'm saying, which is interesting and went off when you were talking is that whoever comes into my life now, particularly a future partner or mate has to choose to live in a matriarchal way. And there's not a lot of men who do that yet. There are there more and more, and it's been really empowering to have some people in sacred rhythm, actually men join and learn because they want to live in the matriarchal way, because at the end of the day, happy wife, happy life. And if your lady is thriving, then you will be thriving. I feel, and this is my work to do, and I'm sure many women's, and why a lot of us choose the easy way out is I need to be confident in that, right? If we have been forced to live in a patriarchal way, for so long and we're not men why should we feel bad about men adapting to a matriarchal lunar cycle right I feel kind of like I'm encroaching on their style of life when the truth is that it's always been run by women it has period Mm -hmm. Uh, claiming that is is a challenge and it's a challenge because your hormonal cycle looks like this a hormonal cycle can be Very different for somebody who's never been exposed to it. Your follicular phase, notwithstanding your period, but your follicular phase, the period of time when estrogen is growing, is really fun. You're extroverted. I call estrogen your Beyonce hormone. You want to go out, you want to meet new people, you're really good at absorbing new information, you feel good about yourself. It's the hormone that makes you feel super feminine, right? And that's the hormone that also plummets in menopause, which makes sense,
2: right? So this phase where estrogen is more dominant, this is from when to when in your menstrual cycle?
0: The first 14 days. Right. Okay. So, and is it increased gradually? It increases gradually. And day one of your, your menstrual cycle is day one of your bleeding. That's your cycle starts with death spiritually. It starts with shedding, which is really kind of beautiful. So you start your first Your first phase of your cycle is shedding out your period. Estrogen starts to grow at this time because you're developing the next egg that will be ovulated. Estrogen is rising, progesterone as well, but to a lesser degree. FSH and LH are both increasing at this time. These are the hormones that are helping stimulate your ovary to choose the queen egg that's going to be ovulated, the predominant follicle. And then you ovulate and estrogen peaks and you feel so good about yourself. And there's usually a three-day period where you're super horny and super wet. And how beautifully ancestrally designed is that? Because you're the most fertile and the most horny. Like obviously we were made. Also the most productive, I will say. Absolutely. Yeah. You have a lot of energy, but in your second chakra is creativity and energy, right? So it's like the seat, your seat of creative life force is just booming. And then progesterone starts to rise ideally, right? If you don't have a disrupted cycle, then ovulated after you've ovulated exactly progesterone is starting to rise. So progesterone progestation, this is your nesting hormone. This is the hormone that says, hey, you should rest and stay warm and eat soup and be calm and gentle. So if you don't have enough of that, obviously you feel super anxious because your body is craving to be gentle. And this is the time that is most important for conception right? So those two weeks after there's fertilization is when all of the insane amounts of cell division and embryologic change is happening to this tiny little egg and sperm collection, which actually it's not that tiny. It's two to four centimeters. So you can see it with your eyes. That fact blew my mind when I knew it because we think it's microscopic, but you can see it. And so in that period of time is when the chromosomes are connecting and joining and changing and dividing. And for that reason, energetically, you're wanting to slow down, right? Because your energy in your body is focused on either creating and supporting the earliest phase of life and the most important cell division that's going to happen for the rest of that existence of that human, or it's not doing that, but it's, It was craving to do that, right? It was going to go there. So the progesterone is still high and you're still either doing that or not as you lead up to menses. And so in that time, you want to slow down. You're craving less activity. You're definitely less extroverted and wanting to be more with yourself. You need to eat more easily digestible foods because your body is focused again on your uterus and not on you looking like a supermodel. And then you bleed. And then it starts all over again. So it's it's not a roller coaster, but it is a wave. You are a wave every single month. And yeah, it's definitely easier to live like a sidewalk for sure. You can see that you're walking and it's the same pavement every single day, which is mm-hmm. obviously easier and masculine. Or you are figuring out how to surf on a wave And sometimes that wave is a tsunami if your hormones are irregular, right? Mm -hmm. And sometimes that wave is super gentle and it's really easy to surf. And that's when your hormones are balanced. Yeah, Um, Yeah. and that's interesting because I think in some
2: ways society views that wave as a problem.
0: Yeah, well, I'm realizing I'm having to unpack my own shit about how I don't see it as a problem, but I do see it as inconvenient for the sidewalkers. Yeah. And it's interesting if we're thinking about feminism,
2: sometimes there's this idea of feminists. is like, yes, women can do the same things as men. And that's absolutely true, by the way, because that's how you like a woman in their follicular phase and ovulating, unstoppable, mm-hmm. unstoppable. But I think it actually is even more powerful to say, I'm going to live in tune with my body and- now it is time to slow down during those times where it is appropriate in your cycle. So that luteal phase. And so let's talk just briefly about what does living in tune with your cycle
0: look like? Yeah, I think that's a great question. Well, for example, because you're more articulate in your follicular phase, planning things like Expos or presentations is always wise to do in the first half of your cycle, right? If you're going to be, if you have a big performance or presentation, it's probably not ideal to plan it like four or five days before your period. I think being able to create time and space for yourself to rest. A lot of women in their postpartum period are really hormone deficient, right? Some of us, I'm sure, experienced something similar. And when you have high cortisol, high stress hormone, you can't make enough progesterone because they come from the same precursory hormone. And so you want to mitigate the things that cause you stress in life, right? So if you're very overwhelmed by cooking, let's say- you don't like to cook or it's very stressful, then maybe for the, your luteal phase, you order in like the, one of those pre-cooked meal kits, right? So that you're not worried about it at that time. Yes. It can be like, get a massage and all of that, but truly the root cause of having a healthy luteal phase is supporting your nervous system as much as you possibly can, creating more time for you to sleep in. If you have the luxury of, you know, controlling your own work schedule, you definitely work more in your follicular phase than your luteal phase. And then also eating foods that are easier to digest as well. And just in general, making your life easier because your body at this time is either supporting the creation of a new body or getting ready to shed its lining, which is also a really solid amount of work. Mm -hmm. And it is, it's, it's, it's interesting as I, started to claim power in my cycle and would say, no, I can't hang out that weekend because it's going to be the first two days before my period. It it can annoy people. And it's certainly a lot of people in my life and you just have to be strong in it just because other people aren't living that way. Doesn't mean that you don't have to. And the good amount of those people are people who are very feminist and in the typical way that we hear about it, right? right. That we have all, and it's which is really interesting to me, but yeah, it's, I mean, it, because again, it affects their lives, right? Like if you say, no, I can't go to this show or whatever, because you're not going to want to dress up because you're not going to want to shave your legs. And right. Again, it's work. Work is stressful. So like getting ready for a thing. Yeah. And of course,
2: sometimes there is going to be a thing that falls on like the first day of your peers. Like, I'm just thinking I'm a doula, right? Sometimes, never,
0: we can't control when a baby decides to come. Right. You know? You're meal prepping for the first two weeks of the month that you have that food ready. And then you are definitely not working if you had a really hard day. And if there's an event like a graduation or a birthday, like you leave early, right? I think we don't wanna use our menstrual cycles as an excuse because we don't wanna disempower how amazing it is to live in tune with it, right? And right. it's like, oh, yeah, wow, like a period getting in the way again. Well, right? it's like, there's ways to do it.
2: You can just say, "All right, I need to head out, but I'm glad I could come." Right. You need to there's be power grappling. in not justifying why you're making any sort of a decision
0: as well. I read this quote recently that was like, "Never defend yourself. It makes you look weak. You don't owe anybody an explanation. You can just live in your truth, and your truth is that you need to rest because you're about to yeah. bleed."
2: Period. Yeah, I find people more readily accept your choice. If you don't, if you sit there and explain it, you're giving people an opening to say why that's not a good enough reason. Right. Don't defend yourself. It makes you look weak. I kind of love that. Yeah. So the last thing I wanted to talk about is the menstrual cycle as a vital sign, because we've talked about it in the context of getting pregnant or avoiding pregnancy. Mm -hmm. Uh, But well, what most people don't know is it can be a marker of your overall health. And it can also clue us in to underlying health issues that can easily
0: get missed in the traditional medical
2: model. So can you talk a bit about that?
0: Yeah, absolutely. So like I said, you cannot ovulate if you don't have adequate hormones, if you don't have adequate FSH and LH from your brain telling your ovaries that it's time to do that the endocrine system is really magnificent and so complicated in that an endocrine organ is an organ that secretes hormones that affect other organs, right? So the pancreas secretes insulin and then insulin affects all of your muscles and all of your tissue, right? Or the pituitary gland secretes LH and FSH that talk to your ovaries. So it's these chemical messenger organs And they're all interconnected. So endocrinologists are really just wizards in a sense, except that they don't learn naturopathy, but that's the separate problem. And so when you have an issue with your menstrual cycle, which is inherently a hormonal process, right? If there is an issue, it's indicating that there might be something else going on, right? So your adrenals might be making a lot of cortisol because you're very stressed out, which is going to suppress your progesterone production, which in turn is going to inhibit you from ovulating or you have an insulin resistance issue, and then your body doesn't have enough energy to invest in ovulating, right? So that's kind of our metabolic syndrome PCOS picture. They're all really, really interconnected. The thyroid hormone also Very interconnected into the menstrual cycle, and that's something that you can see if you temperature track. So, folks that don't have a very high temperature rise after they ovulate, that's an indicator often of suboptimal thyroid function. So, as you get to know your period, when you use it as a vital sign, when you get to know what's happening with your body, are you making enough cervical fluid? Are you having a temperature shift? All of these things that are involved in tracking your cycle, if they are not in the category of normal as we know it, then they absolutely could be a sign that something else is going on with your body. And it's really powerful to see and to have that knowledge. And also, unless you're, you're really at a point where you're very, very sick, which would convince an allopathic physician to test your hormones, there are subtleties that you can tweak to feel better. And I think that's also really, Going back to your first question when you were like, what does it mean to be healthy? Is not settling for mediocrity. Just because you bleed every month doesn't mean that you should still also have a migraine every month before your period. Yeah, that's technically not super bad, but you might just have a tiny magnesium deficiency or a B12 deficiency, which could be causing your migraine. You know, and that's something you can buy over the counter. Right. That's if you things. really get to know your cycle then you can tweak it also in really subtle ways to feel your best self and to use that knowledge to better your whole life. But it's really powerful. Yeah. I love it. So It's
2: so awesome. And gosh, this conversation barely,
0: barely
2: scratched the surface of the world that opens up For you when you begin to learn about the menstrual cycle and how it works and it, the menstrual cycle as a vital sign and the internalized misogyny that we all carry and what we learn in school and everything. So I wish we had more time, but wrapping up, what resources would you recommend if, if someone listening to this is like, wait, what my mind is blown. I want to learn more. Where would you point them? The Fifth Vital Sign is an amazing book. Taking charge of your fertility. That was how I learned about that was how I learned about cycles for the first time. Yeah. The book is called Taking Charge of Your Fertility
0: by Tony Weschler, right? I would start there. I think those are two really excellent, very renowned sources. Yeah.
2: I love yeah. the Fifth Vital Sign. I read it after I'd already done a lot of work on menstrual cycles and my mind was
0: still blown. Yeah. And we didn't even talk today about the spiritual changes throughout the month and what the luteal phase shows us as
2: women. Yeah. A good book for that is called, it's the blood book. That one delves more into the spiritual aspect of, of your cycle. That is by Liana Pereja and Ashley Cottrell. That's and a good one. And free on Kindle Unlimited, if you have that.
0: You Kindle know. Aviva Ram has a lot of books and she and Lily Nichols are producers of content who are great to follow. They have, they both have podcasts, they both have Instagram pages, and they both have little blurbs that you can read. Yeah, um, I teach a, a cycle syncing class called Sacred Rhythm, which is everything we talked about, but more and more and more. Yeah. It's and- wonderful. Thank you. But yeah, I would start there. Okay. And lastly, where can listeners find you? I am not in many places right now. I was joking with a friend that I'm going to read to you what we were calling me. She was like, you're the secret spiritual service midwife, which is so true because people just kind of learn through the grapevine about me. But I am on Instagram as at Kapha Goddess, K-A-P-H-A Goddess. Kapha means earth in Ayurveda. And that's it. But eventually when I make a landing page, it'll be there. And for now I'm offering just consults based on anything that might be of interest. So absolutely come to me with cycle information and let's unpack it and figure out what's going on. Or you want to talk about eating for your cycle and diet changes, or you're a postpartum mama who hasn't gotten her period yet. And we want to talk about how to balance your hormones or, I mean, truly anything you would come to a midwife for that isn't specifically clinical where I don't need to do a physical exam, right?
2: Right. But then you Um, could point them in the right direction of maybe what blood work they need to advocate for, et cetera. Yeah.
0: I'm in between practices where I'll be providing clinical care. But in the meantime, I think a consult, really anybody can do your path and anybody can draw your labs, right? What you need is guidance and it's invaluable. I mean, I can't imagine if I had someone who was guiding me in a time when I was trying to figure out what was going on with me. It's invaluable.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And taking charge of your fertility is taking charge of your health. It's not just important for when you're trying to make a baby. And
0: apparently, fighting patriarchy in a way that I did not realize was going to be as big. It's really big. It's fucking massive. This whole movement is massive.
2: Yeah. And I'm glad it's starting to gain ground. I hope more people catch on. And hopefully, in listening to this, it will inspire a few people to look a little further into it as well. Oh, thank you for having me. Yeah. Yeah. I loved having you on. Thank you. Thank you, Roni, for that beautiful conversation. As always, you can find the resources that we talked about today linked in our show notes and be sure to follow Roni on Instagram at kapha, K-A-P-H-A, goddess. And join us next time as I bring a special treat to you an exclusive snippet from my signature webinar, Preparing for a Smooth Postpartum, where we will dive into what emotional recovery from childbirth looks like throughout the first year. I have another group webinar coming up on June 20th, so if you've been on the fence about being a part of this class, this is a great opportunity to preview this offering. I can't wait to share this with you.
1: If you like what you hear, feel free to follow, like, and share this podcast with anyone you feel may benefit. We have a great community on Instagram and Facebook at Our Village Circle and our website is www.ourvillagecircle.com. Until next time, bye-bye.